Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Supercharged Life. And I'm so excited about our guest today, Chef Rocco Despirito. He has written five New York Times bestsellers. He's a recipient of the prestigious James Beard Award. He's, in fact, published 14 cookbooks in total, appeared on countless TV shows, including my favorite, The Doctors, and made his mother's meatballs world famous. So let's welcome celebrity chef Rocco. Thank you so thank much you, for thank being you. here. Thank you. as well, and you're a foodie and yes. my kind of people, and you're a neuropsychotherapist, and I have yes. to say that I'm a big fan of your entire community. Every level of it, every person in it, very a <laughs> uh, bunch of very giving, loving uh, helpful people in my life. So, well, you know, thank you. I've seen every kind of you know person that whose title ends in an ist. Yes, and uh, so oh I'm good. Excited. Well, yeah. I, I know that you Therapist, are familiar. Neuropsychotherapist. Yes, you know, you're, you're pharmacist. Yes, <laughs> and you're very familiar with therapists because you actually started going to one when you were a child. Yeah, it's so funny. I've been in therapy since second grade, although I didn't know it until college. So when the uh, counselor at college said, "You know, we have a therapist on campus. You should attend." I, th- I thought to myself, oh, wow, that's what they've been doing to me my whole life. Because ever since second grade, I was taken out of class one hour a week. Uh-huh. And I was asked to draw and play with things. And you could probably tell me better, you know, better than I know that those are meant to, you know, get you to exemplify some behavior that should be instructional for the therapist. So I imagine that's what that's what's been going on. Well, I think as a child, sometimes children don't verbalize their emotions very well. So yeah. it starts Unless with play Unless you're in the therapy. classroom, which is probably why they took me out of class, because I was probably verbalizing too much. So, oh, yeah. okay. So were you struggling with anxiety at the time? What was going on? That oh, I think I was struggling them- with uh, many, many things. Anxiety was probably at the top of the list. Um, uh, I didn't really understand... Uh, and I, was, I still struggle with this. What you know is socially acceptable in class, out of class, in the playground. Um, I came from an immigrant family that had a really hard time acculturating. They were in their um, 30s and 40s when they came to the United States, so their mastery of Eng- English was almost none. We didn't speak English at home t- until um, I went to. F- uh, kindergarten and demanded that we change, you know, our language at home from Italian to English. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was very confused as a kid and, and wasn't sure, uh, you know, what what culture and uh, lifestyle I was exposed to that, at that time was the right one in public versus at home. Right. I can imagine how that can really create just a sense of dissonance, right? Because you have a certain culture at home that is honored and then you go to school and these Americanized kids. No one gets it, yeah. 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 I'm from an immigrant family myself and in fact, I'm an immigrant because I moved to the United States when I was nine. Okay, good. So So you understand. You understand really well, yeah. Yeah, my parents were in their 30s and Mm. I don't think I could do what they did, Mm. which is uproot your life and go to a completely different country where you don't speak the language. Right. And try to read and just make a life for yourself. Yeah, they're so. amazing. Our parents, huh? The, the, that generation. I, I doubt they're from the same generation, but a generation of immigrants uh, have strength that I don't think I could I could find if I needed it. I, uh-huh. If I needed to move to another country right now, say because of I don't know coronavirus or something, I don't know <laughs> that I could do it. I don't know that I could do it. Yeah. I, honestly, yeah. I feel like I would not be able to do it, and I'm yeah. I'm very happy admitting that. I think I'm used to my creature comforts yeah. in America, yeah. and while other countries are very nice to visit, it'd be so yeah. different to try yeah. to insert yourself yeah. in a world where you don't understand. So especially because my backup country was Italy. Yes. I have an Italian, uh, I have an Italian passport, I'm an Italian citizen, and, I, and that was always going to be my backup country. Mm-hmm. And there are 
alas, there will be no Italy for me in the near future. Right. Yeah. When was the last time you were in Italy? A couple of years ago. But I go yeah. often. I've written cookbooks there, shot TV shows there. I'm very familiar with it. I love the culture. Uh, it's funny because it took me until my mid-30s to sort of get rid of my ethnic self-loathing and love the Italian side of me yes. and embrace it and make it part of my work. Yes. And uh, had you met me in my early 30s when I was opening Union Pacific and asked me for a meatball recipe, I'd have laughed at you because I'd never made the meatballs and my mom was <laughs> you know, making these incredible dishes. Yes. Um, but around 36, 7, 8, I, I sort of was like, wow, this is really the, the most wonderful part of my background. I yes. have all these family members who live this culture uh, you know, this Italian culture in America, it's more Italian than American. Mm -hmm. They speak Italian at home. They make their own food. They grow yes. their own food. You know, it's just this most rich and wonderful lifestyle, right? And uh, in fact, some some of the their relatives live in what are called blue zones, but now I'm sure you're familiar, uh, where people live to 100 and above very often because they have this wonderful lifestyle filled with you know, homemade food, organics, right. food, spirituality, purpose, community. And so... I should have been following that the whole time. Yes. Someone it, should have clued me in. Italian culture, yeah. I feel like, is the epitome of amazing food right? and so much other things. Yeah. Like you said, community, togetherness. Yeah. I was just recently in Italy myself yeah. a few months ago. Yeah. My husband is yeah. Italian descent. Oh, and great. He's, yes, oh, wow. he's three amazing. quarters Italian, a quarter wow. Greek. Oh, cool. So we went to Italy and we just love the culture. The food was so the good every day. People are so nice, right? It's, it's just so, so nice. easy to get along there. You know? Yes, very, very different. Yeah. But like you said, America can be kind of scary for someone yeah. who's just yeah. trying to figure things out. And right. so as a kid, you actually struggled with some of that anxiety and yeah. knowing what the social... On the way here, I struggled with it. Did I you? I was just always struggling with it. I think once you're, when you're born a first-generation uh, immigrant kid that grows up in a city like New York and, and then a part of the city called Jamaica, Queens, which is one of the most ethnically diverse places in the world. So I didn't go out of my house and encounter, you know, uh, American Graffiti America. Mm -hmm. I encountered another hundred ethnicities who each had their own culture that I, yes. and I didn't know what I should do, you know? Um, so I tried to hang, I tried to hold on to my Italian American upbringing and tried to sort of embrace the American, the clearly American things like the football and the baseball, yes. that, you know, those, so the Yankees were a big part of my childhood growing up collecting baseball cards. Mm -hmm. uh, oddly enough, Bruce Lee was a big part of my childhood growing <laughs> up because he was as American as a God at the time. And he was on, you know, his movies were out all the time at that time. Right. Um, but it's always very confusing. Anyway, my yes. mom also had to struggle with the same thing. She came here in her mid thirties alone, mm. uh, no husband, no children, sponsored a bunch of her family members to come over and then got married and brought a child over. And my dad couldn't come for several years due to immigration policies. And wow. so she had a real hard time too. And, but she really made the best of it with her broken English and uh, all the struggles that she had, she just made it look easy. So yes. I feel a little, uh, uh, when I complain about this, I feel a little <laughs> like I shouldn't be complaining because clearly other people will get through this just fine. Well, I think everybody's so different in terms of how they respond to certain types mm -hmm. of challenges because some of the challenges that you've had and the success that you've been able to achieve, I think other people, their minds would be blown. How did you do that? How did you overcome this? And I think one of the things that you have worked hard at overcoming is the social anxiety mm -hmm. piece and yet always being in the spotlight because you're constantly on TV shows, you're yeah. a public figure. And it's so interesting to think about your origin story where yeah. as a child, that stuff probably just freaked you out so much and you couldn't even imagine yeah, a as career a child, like as this. a young adult, um, I, I told the story to uh, 
many people about my early days at my first really big restaurant where I, I used an acting coach named Nancy Banks, who lives in Los Angeles, uh, to help me act through and, and simulate encounters with my, my customers because I was mm. so uh, anxious and so uh, <laughs> unable to go out into a dining room and, and say, hey, how was your meal? I'm Rocco. I'm the chef. I cooked this for you. What do you think? Um, and, I, and, and it's funny because that was, that was a time where I couldn't hide in the kitchen anymore. I was very happy hiding mm -hmm. in the kitchen and just making great food and getting feedback through waiters and mm -hmm. my partners. And then at some point in the 90s, the chef had to step out because marketing yourself became as important as cooking. Uh, marketing yourself became as important as making the great product. So it became a very um, difficult choice to make every night. How much time do I spend out in the dining room marketing myself versus how much time do I spend in the kitchen making the product perfect? Right. And that's when a lot of my other problems started with, you know, becoming uh, a known chef in the current industry that we, you know, we're all familiar with now, thanks to food television and all the press right. chefs get. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. I'm actually a huge fan of food television. My cool. favorite time to watch it is when I'm hungry no, because then great. I just look Bad forward to, to eating. It. I know. To then I just want to have a huge meal Something, after. you know, covered in cheese. It'll be something oh, covered in cheese. Yeah. I know. And it's so great because I yeah. actually t learned so much because I'm a, most people are visual learners, but yeah, I especially sure. feel sure. like I am. So I like yeah. watching them prep yeah. the food and, oh, I never thought about doing yeah. that or adding this ingredient. But I understand the dissonance you must have had when you thought, oh, well, my passion is to cook the food and make the product perfect. And now this whole other element where basically you have to market yourself and your food. And that's why you had to hire an acting coach to literally yeah. run through yeah. role plays with role you. Role play, yeah. Like pretend I'm a customer mm -hmm. and then you come out and what will you say? And what mm -hmm. if a customer complains? Yeah. What will you say yeah. back? Mm -hmm. What if they give you a compliment? Yeah. Yeah. So you had to really do it almost in a very mechanical way to get the the craft down, the, the mechanical technical the mechanical of, of marketing, the mechanics of marketing and being charming in a dining room. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and also for television, we, we, we role played the Today Show, you know, someone played mm. Katie Couric and someone, played, you know, we really did this qu quite a lot because I was starting yes. to do a lot of TV appearances. And the ironic thing is I, I was one of the early chefs to become criticized for doing too much of that. Wow. And the whole time I've been thinking, I don't want to do any of that, <laughs> but yeah. the industry is forcing me and, and the competition in New York and, and in the country is forcing all of us to... Mm -hmm sort of abandon a life in pursuit of perfection of product for a life where you're marketing 24-7, where you're, you know, hustling and pimping your product 24-7. And it's, it's you know, to this day, a very difficult choice. Yeah. Uh, but I do, if you ask me what I'd love to do for most of my day every day, what, what's spiritual for me, it's it's still cooking. It's still yeah. chopping an onion, heating up a pan, listen, listening to the sizzle, making something for a few hours, feeding it to someone, watching them. 
you know, uh, enjoy the, the yes. food that I made. And that's it. That's it's a very simple life. If I if if I could have that, just that, I'd choose in, in a heartbeat. Well, I think chefs are amazing because really you're feeding people. You're literally providing nourishment to them. But also there's such an emotional element because it's love. Yeah. And my grandmother, who I adore and is like a second mother to me, she cooked for us all the time. And anytime I ate her dishes, you feel you the felt love. It. You felt the love ingredient. You really right? feel yeah, the yeah, love. Yeah. And, and I love that you also compare your career to a type of spirituality. So obviously everybody lives their spiritual life in different mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. And there was actually a stint where you considered being a priest. I there totally was. understand that yes. because I'm Catholic. Oh, okay. I'm still a practicing so, Catholic. Oh, wow. Okay. So great. I know some priests. Some of some of these priests are my friends. One of them came actually to my book signing party. Amazing. You know, wow. and having alcohol because you know priests can drink, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah. So he was there drinking his bourbons. Priests and, can and will drink. <laughs> that's right. They love drinks. <laughs> In case drinks. you didn't know. They yeah, love drinks. Yeah. But you actually considered that as a career path. Not only considered, point. I pursued it. I went to a seminary high school. Um, I, I will say that my mom put a little pressure on me. Probably, <laughs> probably if you have a brother, I don't know if you have a sibling who's, mm -hmm. who's eligible for priesthood, but there's a good chance your mom might have thought, oh, I'd like one of my children to become a priest or a yes. nun or something like that. Uh, but again, my mom's generation is the World War II generation. So it's for them, and, and especially coming from Italy, you know, being oh. a priest was like, Huge oh, everything! Honor. Was Maybe yeah. one day you could be the Pope and uh, yeah, be exactly. at the Vatican, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Could be the president, but then the, yeah. you know they'd say no. But he's a priest; it's much better. Yes. Um, and but I, I also um, looked at it through the metrics of what's good for me academically, and I was always sort of practical in that sense. And that was the best academic choice that I had. The kids who graduated from the school went to Harvard and Princeton, Yale, mm -hmm. and West Point, and a lot of them also went to the major seminary, they called it the major seminary. 50% mm -hmm. went to the major seminary and on to priesthood. Um, but you just I just knew I was gonna learn a lot. It was gonna be a great academic experience. Mm -hmm. Then my family moved, and I went, ended up in a public school where I, I literally spent barely two years and graduated because I did so much work in the first year wow. uh, that I didn't need to go to class for the last year. So I just, I, um, I took a summer course. I, I accelerated through high school and I got into cooking school much faster than I expected, which turned out to be a wonderful thing for me. So how did yeah. you decide that seminary wasn't going to be for you and the priesthood wasn't going to be good for you? Uh, I felt very uncomfortable from day one. <laughs> I, I love the academic part of it. There were some teachers I really enjoyed. I made very close friendships with people that I, I still, um, I'm still close with today. It's funny that you said uh, one of the, your priests visited your, your, your book signing because yeah. that just happened to me recently. Oh, yeah, how yeah. funny. And yeah. uh, I just uh, ultimately wasn't comfortable in the environment. And mm. when I, I saw what um, a traditional American high school looked like in a suburban neighborhood, mm -hmm. not, not Queens, it looks so attractive to me. You know? Yeah. There were girls, guys, cars, you know, <laughs> movies, popcorn. There's all, you know, all that stuff that you see in the movies. And yes. that was my first exposure to it. So I was like, yeah, I'll take this. This, this looks mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, quickly I realized that this is nowhere near am ambitious enough for me. So yeah. I need to get to the next step pretty quickly. Yeah. And how did yeah. you discover your love of cooking? So I always loved cooking. I, uh, my parents were lower middle class, you know, at, at best. My mom always worked many multiple jobs. We had boarders in our house, literally people living in our home. Mm -hmm. This was the um, advent of the deinstitutionalization of uh, hospitals in New York and across America. And so there are all, all of these um, people who needed to live in, you know, I, I, what would you call them? Not halfway houses, but in private homes. Mm -hmm 
where they'd get counseling and but someone needed to take them to their home so my mom was more than happy to do it um because she loved taking care of people and we probably needed the money um and so we had two boarders in our house and uh the point of the story is that we didn't have a lot of money to spend on things like records and posters mm -hmm. and whatever and i was really into a band called kiss and my mother hated it because she thought they were demonic <laughs> for real like she thought they were wow. really a cult and really oh, demonic man. and were really going to lead me down down a bad path right right so i wanted to buy an album called love gun she wouldn't give me the money we had a fight she she um announced that if i wanted to buy anything uh to do with them i'd have to go out and get a job and buy it with my own money like it was a big dare mm. and i was 11 and i thought what woman i can go out and get my own job right. and i make my own money and i don't have to have this conversation right right done so the right. next day i literally walked into a, a pizzeria after you know asking many many people and they he said yes i'll give you a job no problem so wow. i started working in a, in a restaurant and i fell in love with cooking and the hospitality business immediately mm -hmm. uh the interaction between people was wonderful the magic that happens in that space where you know you're just feeding something, whatever, even if it's a fountain yeah. soda, it was magical to me. Um, I got to eat all the Italian ice I wanted, and I made 50 cents an hour, which was a tremendous amount of money for me. That's so, an adult yeah. wage, right? Yeah. I mean, at that time, that was a big deal. It, yeah, it was real... not far from an adult wage. It was 1977, so it was, yeah. it was all right. And he let me work, how generous of him. He let me work 60 hours a week. So I made oh, he $30. Let you. I made $30 a week. <laughs> it was the best thing of it. It was uh, an inc intense lesson in an independence and uh and i bought a stones album a really bad album and then i bought love gun by kiss and uh I, it was just like a great life oh. moment a life early lesson in independence and what adult adulthood feels like and wow. i worked in restaurants ever since and at 14 I was working in a German restaurant that had very serious food, very serious menu. Mm. The first day there, they were making head cheese, which is um, pig's heads boiled until they fall apart and pulled apart and then compressed into a form. It was the first thing I saw walking into that restaurant. Wow. And uh, at that point, I started to get very serious about being a chef. There were very serious chefs there, and so yeah, you yeah. had mentors there. Yeah, and at, so at the age of fourteen, you really an idea formed yeah. in your head. You're malleable yeah. and enough to where people can be very impressive, and yeah. So there was a guy there who went to the Culinary Institute of America, and he was always talking about how great it was, and I decided I was that's where I was going to go, and I did two years later. Wow. So, what was your first signature dish that you remember? First signature dish I created and I'm most proud of is uh, something I created uh, for two restaurants before Union Pacific, a place called Dava. It was sea urchin with tomato water and mm -hmm. mustard oil. And then I added raw bay scallops to it a few years later. And to this day, people know me for that dish. So it's not the meatballs. My mom was famous <laughs> for the meatballs. Hers were amazing. Mine were like, okay, uh, but it's that dish. And I wrote a book called Flavor. Uh, explaining how that dish uh, pretty much summed up the, the, my philosophy on food and flavor, how four major tastes, sour, salt, sweet, bitter, make up all of all the dishes that we eat. And every dish is some combination of those. Uh, so that that's my signature dish. Yeah, I'll show that, you a picture later. I would love Beautiful to see dish, it. Yeah. I would love to see it. And that cookbook won the James Beard Award. It did, yeah. So right, right, that was your yeah, first yeah. cookbook, yes, too. Yes. So what year was that? 2002, uh, uh, I think. 2002, 2002 yeah. yes. So yeah. And you've published 14 books Yeah, you know, they'll let then. anyone write a book these it's, days. Okay. I don't know. Well, I don't know about that. That's a very funny, self-deprecating humor <laughs> yeah. you have there. Um, 
was that practice? Was that role play? No, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but it's really great that you have been able to be so prolific. And I think sometimes people think how how can somebody have so much creativity, right? Where do all your ideas come from? Because if you have 14 cookbooks. Mm -hmm. You probably have thousands of recipes just floating around in your head at all times. So I have lots of ideas floating around. Ingredients uh, provide me with, uh, with ideas. When I look at food, I get ideas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess the opposite of anxiety and depression is uh, mania. So I, there's probably some of that going on. <laughs> you know, uh, but I've I've there's always a natural connection between myself and food. Um, and then when I learned how to cook healthy food in you know the mid 2000s, I really wanted to write a, a book about it. And then I wanted to write a lot of books about it because I, I feel like I discovered uh, something sort of magical almost. And the doctors was kind enough to have me on for that first book. Uh, and it's called Now Eat This. And uh, yeah. then my cooking had a purpose other than just to entertain and fulfill mm -hmm. some sort of emotional need at the moment right. and uh it became very important for me to to learn continue to learn about uh, healthy cooking and share share everything i learned right yeah. well there's some pros and cons to anxiety because obviously anxiety can be very troublesome distressing can keep you from doing certain things but mm -hmm. also anxiety can drive progress to a degree and mm -hmm. i know that you're a self-described perfectionist mm -hmm. so what does success mean to you because i think when people look at you and they look at all your mm -hmm. accolades and all of your achievements i mean you've been on numerous tv shows mm -hmm. the 14 cookbooks so affiliated and and so, so many people know who you are and your work what is success what's the end goal for you what's success right now what do you, yeah. how do i define it right now yeah it's right now i would define it very differently than i than i would have de described it 20 years ago um right now it's peace mm. it's it, it's having peace which means not a lot of conflict in life mm -hmm. um being surrounded by kindness and generosity um the ability to to work or not uh not that i'll ever not work because that's just how i'm wired you know i'm mm -hmm. always working on something um but it's nice to be able to i think success would mean that you could choose what you'd want to work on. There's lots of, you know, mitigating factors and outside influences. So uh, to be free of those influences and mitigating factors would be would be a, a definition of success for me. Um, uh, eliminating fear from my life, you know, mm. not not being so fearful of what's going to happen in the next moment, tomorrow, mm -hmm. in six months. Uh, our, you know, current struggles with all the thing, things that are going on in the world are not helping yeah. me <laughs> eliminate fear from my life. But, you know, just uh, being at peace with whatever happens, I think that's the kind of thing, you know, a wonderful 95-year-old grandmother achieves on, you know, their deathbed usually. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm ever going to get there, but I'm, that's what I'm working towards. Yeah, yeah. that's the goal. Yeah. Do you feel like you're a little bit of a catastrophizer where you think into the future and you're already seeing so many steps ahead to the point where... If the worst happens, what's my plan? So I I, I think about what's going to happen a lot, mm -hmm. and often I imagine catastrophes. <laughs> uh, I don't dwell on it as much as I'm making myself sound like I do right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
I do have the ability to just say, oh, that's nonsense, don't worry about it. Just yeah. keep moving through today and enjoy the moment sometimes, not mm-hmm. not all the time. So practicing mindfulness, yeah. which of course is such a buzzword, yes. but it's yes, important. Yes, yes. It's Very important. important. I mean, impulse control is one of the first things I learned in therapy and mindfulness comes from impulse control and being able to just stop the cycle mm-hmm. and think and uh, be conscious is so important, right? And mindfulness comes from that practice. I hate meditation, mm. by the way, right? As a psycho, mm. like as a psychotherapist, as a mm-hmm. psychologist, I actually despise mm-hmm. traditional meditation. Mm. But I like other types of mindfulness activities, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a walking meditation. Mm. Or you know, there's a lot of different ways to have mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Even journaling is mindfulness. So once I got mm. through that brain block, it helped mm-hmm. me with that a bit more. But I, I I'm not that person who can just kind of sit there. Yeah, and, I've tried it. I've tried it many times. Yeah. I, I just. Uh, too many thoughts racing around in yeah. there for me to slow down. I even went to a place uh, to learn mm-hmm. yoga, uh, yoga and meditation. It's yes. called Yoga for the Yoga Glee Challenge. And it's at this incredible place in, in Big Sur and you eat only vegetarian food. And oh, it's designed for so that. Beautiful. And I was able to do it there, but once I got out, I wasn't. I wasn't. But Right, right. But yeah. When you were being guided through it, though. It was great it. when I was being guided through it. Yeah, there yeah. was guided meditation. And it worked really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that. And you mentioned that in the past, your success or definition of it looked different. So what was it in your 20s and maybe early 30s? What oh, was just, that definition? Just, um, you know, the, the nonstop pursuit of something financial, something with a certificate, yeah. something with, uh, you know, a newspaper article that came with it. It all, it all was very... Um, uh, outside, external, not not a lot coming from inside. Mm-hmm. And while that's wonderful, and I do appreciate uh, all those accomplishments and the recognition they come with, um, they don't fill the void. You know, they don't fill the yeah. they don't fill the space that yeah. we're all trying to fill every day. So, um, and I'm very grateful for those opportunities. And and to this day, you know, the fact that. At the standard, we made it into the Michelin Guide it was so important to me, and I'm yeah. thrilled that we did it. But it's 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 an external thing. It's not it's not long lasting, you know. Right. Um, so back then, it was a lot of you know reinforcement from people on the outside, and and that's all I was sort of after. I mean, I did have a, a pure interest in cooking, and and that mm-hmm. turned into creating things for other people to enjoy that they actually enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was true for, for a fact and uh, was very lucky to be in New York at that time cooking. At that. It was a very special time in New York. Um, the New York customer base allowed us to be very free as artists. Now in New York, you'll see that a lot of the menus are very similar and mm-hmm. uh, everyone's, you know, sort of services are contracting, not expanding. Everyone's very concerned about, you know, financial issues in the restaurant business. So. Uh, it's not our, it's not, this is not our heyday back in the nineties sort of was the heyday for all of us. Um, and I think, yeah, so, so moving from external, you know, recognition to a place where you can derive, um, inner peace is sort of the, the journey I've been on. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people are going to resonate with that because as a society, we're sort of taught to seek that type of what we call hedonic happiness, right? Where there's those bursts of joy when you achieve something external or the minute you first land at an awesome vacation Mm -hmm. spot, you have that 
amazing flood of positive emotions, mm -hmm. but eventually that does go away. Yeah, we're off, yeah. And then as you work further on self-development, and I think certainly as we get older, you start to realize that there's a different kind of happiness where it's really more based on your values and mm. the time you spend with people mm -hmm. who you care about. And I think it really clicked for me when I lost my grandmother and realizing that no one on their deathbed is talking about the diplomas and yeah. the awards, right? right. They're exactly. just happy yeah. to be there with their yeah. family, holding hands with yeah. them. And I know that you suffered a major loss yourself. In fact, it was your mother mm. who I know is a hero for you. Yeah. And you yeah, want to yeah. embody a lot of her values, I like do. kindness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so my kind. mother was was extraordinary on, in a lot of ways. Anyone who met her could, could attest to the fact that she made them feel special and loved mm -hmm. and like they had value in this world. I mean, anyone, mm. any person. Uh, and she had, you know, a gift for uh, being extraordinarily generous with her humanity and um, I don't have that gift. I'm, I, I look to her as an example <laughs> of, of a person right. that I'd like to be more like, and I'm working towards being like her a little bit more uh, every day. But um, yeah, she was very special. She was very generous, very good mother. Mm. You know, the mechanics of being a mom, just being sure we were fed and clothed and yeah. uh, taken care of. And then the spiritual side was very important to her. Um, she was able to be unselfish, many, many times where it would have been very easy for her to be selfish. Um, when she was sick, she was unselfish. When she was dying, she was unselfish. Mm. She she made it very easy for us to understand, you know, and accept the fact that she was going to die. Uh, I don't know how somebody could do that, you yeah, know, she in talked my to, mind. She was willing to have those hard discussions, you know, yeah. and in the middle of, in the middle of random conversations, she'd say, you know, when I die, don't be unhappy. I lived a great life. I, you, I have Whoa. you. You have me. I want you to celebrate. I, please play music at my funeral. I really, I mean it when I say I want you to be happy. You know, yeah. and she left all these crazy instructions, and I carry them out at her funeral. And I got criticized for it. I was like, this is literally what she asked for. Um, yeah. So she had the presence of mind to be able to, you know, conquer the the stuff that this world. The challenges that this world brings you, and I think it was her spirituality that helped. It must her. be, yeah. but but still, I consider myself a spiritual person. I cannot imagine myself having so much peace while you're struggling with the fact, yeah. right? Because she was yeah. the one who she right. knew she was, she was going yeah. to be yeah. dying, yeah. and yeah. and actually, in, I guess it happened in 2005, right? Was when she first became sick. So after yeah, a heart she attack. she had the yeah. Yeah, yeah. About, and then you then, yeah. and then you became her caregiver. I became which, her primary caretaker. Yeah, which is such a also it's just a, a little bit of work. Switch. It's no big deal. You can do that in spare time. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I if you're a good caretaker, it's, it's uh, it becomes everything, right? It becomes yeah. your primary job. Uh, and I was very happy to do it, and I wouldn't change a thing if I had to do it again. And I'm yeah. thankful because I don't know that I would have had those 11 years with her. Uh, as as close and as meaningful and as rich an experience as, as it was if mm -hmm. she didn't she and I didn't need each other or she didn't need me to be be yeah. there for her like that um so I'm sort of grateful because most people don't see much of their parents as they you know leave this world right right yeah and you were extremely busy professionally and yet you yeah. were her primary caregiver yes so how did yes. you balance those responsibilities because each one is definitely its full-time job and a half yeah <laughs> so the first thing i did is uh i moved her next to me we moved we lived next to, literally next door to each other in new york city mm -hmm. uh i i moved her to a facility that had some supervision mm -hmm. at, at first and then when it was clear she needed 
24 hour care, uh, which she refused for many years. Yeah. Uh, I finally won that fight after her stroke and uh, I got her really good 24 hour care. But I obviously had to supervise and maintain all those relationships. And I had to learn a lot about medicine and how mm -hmm. hospitals work and how doctors work and how to advocate for – for uh, I hired consultants who were advocates, <laughs> nurse advocates, yes. physician assistant advocates. And if anybody's listening and they're going through the same thing, hire those people. It's worth every penny. Just to know that you can advocate for yourself. Just to watch someone do it for you and then learn – that yes. you can do that for yourself, you know, yes. is an amazing epiphany. It's such right. an illuminating moment when someone goes up to whoever comes in the room and says, hey, by the way, boom, 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 boom. Yes. I want to see the results now. Go back, get those results, come back, you report to me. We never have that experience so in the hospital. Usually oh, no way. they you tell us what to do. Deferential right? to the doctors, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Like, oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, bowing and bowing That's and bowing. Right. And meanwhile, the, the care is not often not coordinated. And yeah. medicines are contraindicated. I mean, there's so many things that you need to be cautious about. So someone has to have their brain on that full time. And yeah. that was me. And uh, I feel like someone should write a book about how to – I'm sure there are plenty in existence, but – that curve, that learning curve from going to, mm -hmm. uh, from just a, a child to a caregiver is, is pretty steep and oh. there should be at least a 10 page manual. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Maybe in a hundred page yeah, yeah, manual yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it is such a flip in responsibility, roles and identity. Yeah, This is the person who gave you life, who took right. care of you. Right, 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 They're right. your safe haven and all of a sudden right. it flips and yeah. you're their safe haven, but yet I'm hearing that at the same time, your mom still continued to be in her own way because she kept saying, don't worry about me. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, I want to die. Don't worry. I'm good. I know where I'm going. I, yeah, I'm going to be fine. Let me die. Let me. You know. nah, that yeah. just blows my mind. Yeah, I really yeah, can't yeah, comprehend yeah. as she is beyond yeah. this world for yeah, sure. Yeah. But I, I think that sometimes people in an effort to try to empathize with you and maybe provide you with some comfort when your loved one finally passes away, they say things to you like, well, at least you had a quality time with her or at least mm. you had time and I think sometimes they don't realize that when there is a chronic illness that gets dragged out you're basically then just grieving the entire time yeah yeah and getting and, and, and understanding that you know you're this is the beginning of the end right right the first heart attack I thought oh this is okay we're gonna fix this she she yeah. survived and doctors are like yeah she, she could live a long life after this and mm -hmm. then every every time something else happened it was like well yeah. She might live another five years. She might live another six years, another yeah. three years. So that that slow uh, process where you realize this is absolutely for sure the end mm -hmm. is, a, is a tough time. Right. So when we got to the end, it wasn't as tough as I expected it because she'd been preparing us. I'd, I'd been preparing myself mm -hmm. and all of our doctors and all the people around us have basically been telling me for, you know, a year or two at that point that at some point there's going to be so many things going on. We're not going to be able to get her out of it. And she had great care and, uh, yeah. those doctors and nurses and, and, uh, HHAs that, uh, home health, uh, mm. assistants were like truly angels and uh. did so much for her and treated her like family. Mm. Um, and then while you're doing that, of course, you can't take care of yourself, right? Cause right. you're trying to earn a living, take care of your mom, yep. do all you that stuff. And yeah. So I had a few rough patches with myself. Mm -hmm. um, I got through most of them. I'm in, sort of coming out of another rough patch right now because mm -hmm. uh, I had back surgery and, you know, the self-care just falls to the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, and I wrote a book about health and wellness that just came out, and so it's kind of odd because I'm I'm not in my best shape ever, mm-hmm. and I've been on the show in my best shape ever. Mm-hmm. Well, the doctors. When I say this show, I mean yeah. the doctors, right? I think of it like my family because they've yeah. been with me this whole journey. Um, and now I'm getting people who are saying you're not you look terrible. Like, what's how can yeah. you sell a book on health and wellness? I'm like, well, we're not perfect, you know. Right. We, we, so we have, judgy. We have rough times too. Yeah. And, and I usually I come right out front and say, listen, this is not me at my best, but this book is a good book, and these recipes still work, and keto will help you lose weight. Yeah. Uh, so there's all that going on right <laughs> oh, now. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. annoying yeah. that you have to defend that. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, because you have to market your product. That's why everyone's looking and they're saying, well, but I have this other picture of you from X year and you look this way. And and it's so tough because I think you bring up this huge element of self-care that people still think that it's selfish, that there's a lot of stigma against it. And especially when you're caring for somebody, a loved one. I feel like sometimes it feels like a little bit too indulgent almost to be taking care of yourself in that moment, or at least that's the perception. Well, these other things have to come first. My businesses, my career, my mom, other family members who are grieving Mm -hmm. my mom, you know, and then where does that leave room for you? Mm -hmm. So, so what were some of the rough patches that you went through during that time? Uh, So, so leaving, um, Rocco's and Union Pacific when my mom first became, um, my dependent, I guess you would call it, or, mm-hmm. or the person I had to care for was a rough patch. Um, my self-care was zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I got into, through a couple of accidents and I don't know, you know, magic and the universe speaking to me. I, I was asked to be on The Biggest Loser. I was asked to do a triathlon for charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, my doctor told me my my numbers weren't great and I'd been complaining to him that my numbers weren't great my whole life mm-hmm. and he'd always told me that you're a hypochondriac you need to get you know you need to stop worrying your numbers yeah. are great you're a young man you're healthy and i remember him saying hey guess what you're finally not your numbers are finally not great so congratulations you yeah. have something to worry about <laughs> and he said um here's i need you to get on these medicines you know uh because i don't, I don't like how the numbers look and i want you know 20 years from now for you to be okay. Uh, and I remember we, t- we went through all the medicines and, this, and there were three medicines and uh, those were, that was a lot for me three, right. going from zero to three. Right. And uh, we talked about side effects. Side effects are all terrible, of course. And then he said, but you could also diet and exercise. And I said, oh, you mean if I do that, um, I don't have to take the medicines or I'll still have to take the medicine. He was like, if you do that, you probably won't have to take any of the medicines. Mm. He said, I tell everyone that, but no one ever does it. I was like, okay, I'll be the first. Let me let me be the first. Yeah. And so those that confluence of events and the triathlon especially got me on a path where I was really taking good care of myself and learning what taking good care of yourself means, learning mm-hmm. what foods will get you there, what mm-hmm. foods will get you to a, a good weight, what foods will uh, sustain tremendous endurance, um, mm-hmm. athleticism like a triathlon. And it was a several year period, but you know, I got to the best shape of my life and I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sustained that for a long time. I did I did um, the United States Championships for triathlons in, in Florida and uh, I have three bikes on my wall to attest for <laughs> it. Uh, but there were, you know, there were moments where uh, it just fell apart because I, I lost my mom, my dad, a pet, a, a few other things mm-hmm. happened all in the same sort of three to five year period. Wow. And then my back surgery. And uh, I not don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. Obviously, I, I mm-hmm. know that everyone goes through this stuff. Um, 
but it was just in but it's just a succession. lot you know it's a lot of stuff yeah. happening yeah it's a lot of stuff happening. yeah well and then yeah. you lost your yeah. mobility for a bit because you actually yeah. needed spine surgery so were yeah. you born with scoliosis yes. yes how did you keep it at bay all of these years i remember those exams yeah. like bend so, and they yeah your spine. exactly yeah so in my in my time there was really nothing they could do now they can fix it before puberty if you have mm. it uh and if you if it if it shows up during pu puberty which is where most of most of the time it does um they can still fix it I mean, if you go to a great chiropractor they can absolutely straighten it out mm -hmm. um i don't know if you're a believer in chiro chiropractic care or not but i am a huge believer in you know uh, functional medicine and mm -hmm. my chiropractor is the one who asked me to do the triathlon by the way ah. for, for his charity and he didn't tell me it was a triathlon uh until he it was time up. to show up basically <laughs> um and so he kept me he kept me working and going without surgery for many many years because he was really good at what he did um and the whole time he said you know, listen i'm, I'm going to keep you away from surgery as long as possible eventually you're going to need it i know that but mm. for the next 10 let's see if we can go 10 15 years we went 20 years you know wow. without surgery and then finally it just you know nerves uh, get compressed and all of a sudden your right leg doesn't move anymore and mm -hmm. you're in a wheelchair trying to get around and you need surgery and uh luckily in new york we have some of the best doctors in the country and so i went to a place called hss and they have a great doctor and uh he took care of it but it was you know it was it was months of being in a wheelchair months of complete oh. immobility and then recovery from surgery which is which takes time i remember trying to get on my bike which is something i did multiple times a week mm. an average ride was 40 miles 60 miles wow and i did that three four times a week with such joy in my heart you know you i really loved, loved it. it yeah yeah uh, i remember getting on my bike uh, I think it was three three months after surgery, which was the minimum time you had to wait. And I waited for the day after the minimum <laughs> time, and I couldn't go a mile, and I was just so crushed, oh. you know. And, uh, and then I tried to do my soul cycle, which was something I did a lot, and <laughs> just couldn't get through it. And I, I think I got really discouraged. But yeah. um, it's time, you know, it's t probably time for me to get back on and see what I can see what I can get done. Yeah, I mean, you had yeah. major surgery, you had a discectomy. So yeah, those yeah. things, I mean, some people never feel like they can bounce back. Oh, is that right? Way. Thank you. I mean, Thanks so, so it's not, that. no, I mean, you'll be fine. But I just think that people no. feel that yeah, yeah. way afterwards. No, I know you're it's right. It's just a perception too, because it takes a longer period of time to train back. Yeah. Everything is so much slower. Yeah. The oh, so I have around. to get my bike refit, which means there's a new normal. I can't, I can't sit in my bike the way I used to. I'm going to have to get like yes. the old band fitting now. Right. Which oh, is everything no. is upright, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way um, to deal with all of our existential crises, right? right? Um, and I think, I mean, again, and not everybody is a saint like your mom. I think almost every one of us has existential crises of uh, death, yeah. changing bodies, yeah. um, things not working the way that mm -hmm. they used to. And you had to confront all of those things at the same time. So you did have this, as you just described, this rapid succession of just loss mm -hmm. after loss, mm -hmm. after identity change. And there was just so many things happening at once. And it, it's not hard to imagine why the self-care just completely went out the window. Mm -hmm. So as you think about that now, and as you're getting back on that journey, mm -hmm. what led you to say, no, I, I've got to start doing that again, start taking care of myself and reorient yourself towards that lifestyle? Uh, utter disgust with myself, uh, clothes not fitting anymore, uh, uh, people reacting not so kindly with less generosity than they used to uh 
and and the sense that I really understand how to do it, right? So I, I've written about it. I've done it myself. Yes. Um, I understand the mechanics of it. I understand the philosophy. I understand the science. Uh, and I guess I've, I've just, it's taken me a couple of years to understand. Uh, well, I, I worked on the line for two years straight at the standard and was able to do that. Funny enough, that skill never is compromised. So I can mm -hmm. do that anytime, anywhere for 15 hours, no problem. And I did that every night on the line at the standard. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not sure, it must be muscle, muscle memory or something, but yeah. no matter what my physical condition is, I can, I can cook on the line for 14 hours. Anyway, wow. um, some of the reaction is, you know, I, I understand that some of the reaction from the public comes from just a silly place, but mm -hmm. some of it's legit because I have been for over 10 years trying to be a model of what, um, living a healthy lifestyle means and, and writing books about it and being an advocate for it. And I understand their disappointment. I'm disappointed too. Um, so that's figuring, you know, pretty prominently. Mm -hmm. uh, and then at my age, this starts to become very serious, right? If, if I allow this to get too out of hand, mm -hmm. then, then I'm looking at the same problems my mom had. Right. And I definitely don't want to repeat that cycle because that's not that's not a fun one, you know. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that it, it is hard because sometimes people think, okay, you're a health and wellness role model. And somehow you're supposed to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. I think it's so much more motivating and inspiring when you can actually see their entire journey, hmm. all the pitfalls, all the times when they struggle. Because if you never struggled, uh, how can you teach people and actually relate to them? on that level, right? Because if you don't know what they're going through and you just say, well, do this, because this is what happens. I don't know if you have any credibility in some ways, because yeah. then you haven't even dealt yeah. with the challenges. So how can you know mm -hmm. what it's like to be on the other side? And and so while people are judgmental, I think it says a lot more about themselves than it does about you. But mm -hmm. I know that at the moment, it doesn't feel that way. You know? and, there, and there have been people who've said, uh, you know, I, I don't love that you're going through this, but I really think you understand me now. You know, I, yeah. I think that you understand what the average person goes through because I'm not average in the sense that I have a food delivery system where I get food delivered to my house. Mm -hmm. um, it's my it's my business, so um, it's not that unusual that you would have your own food sent to you. But yeah, I, I eat the best food you can make every yes. day. You know. Yes. Um, uh, Except when I'm judging one of the TV shows that you, you've probably seen on Food Network. <laughs> Sometimes then it goes so sideways completely. Uh, yeah, but so I, I think it's good for me to understand what, what people who are really struggling are struggling with. Yeah. And I think it's good for, you're right, it's good for them to see me struggle and hopefully overcome, you know, at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you're doing now to get back into So it? just, you know, the consciousness, just the 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 what I tell other people to, to do, which is not crave and consume, but crave and be conscious, right? Crave and make a decision. Yeah. Think, you know, impulse control. Mm -hmm. um, what are the ramifications of this food choice you're about to make or mm -hmm. beverage choice you're about to make? So just, in, you know, giving myself that, that speech and, yeah. and making that a more important part of my life every day and understanding that even if I'm going to judge a cooking show where I'm going to have to eat you know, I don't know what for three days, yes. there are still ways to mitigate the, you know, the, the uh, losses of gains that will happen because of that. Right. Um, and then uh, the physical activity, I'm just making um, 
uh, a real making it really important for me to figure out what physical activity will be comfortable for me in this mm-hmm. post you know surgery world. Yeah, uh, and it's going to take some time. I'll just have to figure it out. How is your pain now? Is it okay? Are you able to do well, most things? It, it was um, acute sciatica, so the pain was you know ten out of ten all the time. Oh. Now it's uh, you know in the two three. Oh, It'll good. always be there. I mean, yeah. yeah. And and my doctor thinks I'm going to need surgery again in about ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, the crazy one with all the pins and rods. And oh all that no! Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, but you got ten years. Yeah, I've got ten you years. Got yeah. ten years. Yeah. Don't think about that. If I that give now. myself those ten years, right? Right. If I make sure, because being healthy and and having a low body weight and all that's very important mm-hmm. in terms of how your spine, you know, heals yeah. and. I will be the first to admit that I struggle deeply with existential crises and actually it didn't really happen until my grandmother died because again, mm. she was such an important figure for me. She was the reason why our entire family was Catholic. She was mm. the first one who was converted when she was oh, in wow. Taiwan. Um, I was raised by her cause my parents were both so busy and working for the first few years of my life. I didn't really see them much because they would come home after I fell asleep. It's great. You were lucky. Grandmas are the best. Oh, they're yeah. the best. She walked me to kindergarten. Yeah. She cooked all my food. <laughs> so and cool. Yeah. But, you know, after she passed away, I became deathly afraid of death, actually. Yeah. I never thought about it before. I had yeah. this very, you know, cavalier thought yeah. about it. Like, well, yeah. you know, we all die sometimes. Yeah. Big deal. Sure. You know? No big deal. And yeah, then yeah. somebody actually close to you dies right. and you You're all like, of a sudden just come into focus with this idea of our life is mortal. And I have had some sports injuries throughout the last few years. And again, after every sports injury, each recovery period is longer. I have to be so much kinder to my body. Mm. I can't eat the way that I used to and look the same. So Mm. it's like my runs get longer and longer Mm. so that I can still eat because I'm a foodie. So I think like all of us struggle with it mm-hmm. to some degree. You all, you have to make those changes and, and having a well life is hard. And when you have a tough day, sometimes you just think, I'm not going to exercise today. Yeah, and right. then one day turns into 10, right? So yeah, it's exactly. very easy yeah. for that to happen. And to slip into that cycle. Yeah, yeah. But there is so much positivity that you still espouse all the time. And like you said, you wrote this book and despite the haters, it's still a good book with great tips because you've lived that life too. Yes, you've done that and it's worth it. Very solid science. And you know, it's nice because um, every time I write a cookbook, I'm trying to push, I'm trying to push forward a little bit. Uh, So when I write these books um, and I come on the doctors and I, I, you know, and I'm explaining (laughs) to them my theories and trying to get them to eat black bean brownies and met with some resistance. Uh, you know, it's a struggle. So I'm, I'm yep. basically trying to pitch this new idea uh, in weight loss, like my pound a day diet book, which is yep. essentially a book on keto, right? It was a keto yes. book. It was a low carb book and, uh, it happened to have, you know, black bean brownies in it and, and Dr. Stork didn't like them. So, oh, you know, but, but with the keto book, it seems like it's the right idea at the right time. Everybody seems to know what keto is. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it's a low carb, high fat, you know, uh, diet and, uh, half the people I talk to are on it and getting success, you know, and achieving yeah. success with it. So it's nice to have that finally. Uh, and it's funny because three years ago when we first conceived of this book, the comfort food keto book, um, we weren't sure if we should use the term keto. Cause even three years ago mm-hmm. we felt like it was a little bit experimental and might right. be scary, Yes, but it turns out three years later, it, it's really just the perfect timing for it. And yeah. the people who are doing keto and there's a lot of them, are bored uh, of the recipes because most keto That's recipes are very basic, yeah. right? It's just like eat a steak, yeah. put some cheese on it. Yeah, you know, it sounds great for a while, bacon, you know, right? Yeah. But after eating bacon yeah. straight for three weeks, you yeah, might want it, something else. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I took, I took the 
dishes that did well in my previous books and mm-hmm. ones that got great reactions to including the meatballs of course and mm-hmm. just turned them into keto recipes. mac and cheese yeah, yeah mac and cheese yeah, <laughs> yeah it's mac so and cheese. great there's no mac in the mac and cheese but it's still delicious it tastes uh, like mac yeah, and cheese that's all i care yeah, about exactly and congratulations because your book is number one today which is so amazing it. i really can't believe it yeah well yeah. It, it shows that your hard work pays off and, Thank and you. people just Thank love you. your so nice love your ideas and again just being creative and and really using it as a way not only a, a path and lifestyle towards wellness but it, it's so filled with love and it's filled with passion. And I think that's why you appeal to so many people because people look at you and they think this guy loves what he does, mm. right? He loves what he does. He's, he's found his passion mm-hmm. and not everybody can do that in their mm-hmm. lifetime. And I think in our parents' generation, it wasn't even really about that. No. They, they, yeah. they come home, they put food on the table. It's yeah. great. It's a great life. They inherited their careers usually, right? My dad was a yeah. cabinet maker because his dad was. Right. My mom's a seamstress because her mom was. You know? Right, yeah. right. So to really break the mold and to do your own thing is so yeah. amazing. And my podcast is all about teaching people to supercharge their life. And I think you really embody that because you have supercharged all of these Thanks. aspects of your Thanks. life. But also the self-care went to the self-care went to the bottom of things for a bit. Mm-hmm. So I think we should talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like to give my listeners a practical tip that they can mm-hmm. take and really improve their life that day. And I think so many people who are sure. listening. They get it. They're like, yeah. wow, self-care after loss, any kind of loss, yeah, whether it's your yeah, physical yeah. mobility, your parents, mm-hmm. you know, what you thought your career looked like in one aspect, mm-hmm. the restaurant aspect, and then doing something else, you mm-hmm. know, kind of reinventing your career. But all of those things are losses. And it's so hard to care for yourself after each of those losses. And you had mm-hmm. so many at one time. So what are some tips that you can give my listeners who struggle with that and again still think yeah, so self-care is selfish and all of those one thing ideas. keeps coming to mind because I'm, I'm speaking to you a person who's a neuropsychiatrist is that you should work with a therapist <laughs> yeah. at any age at any point in your life if you can find a uh, a kind therapist who can give you direction mm-hmm. generously uh, and not just sit there and listen it's going to be a game changer. It was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. I I believe that if I did not, uh, if I wasn't the kid that got t- you know taken out of class since since second grade, and I didn't find mm-hmm. the wonderful therapist I've worked with my whole life, mm-hmm. I, I I don't think I, I'd be here talking to you. I think I might have ended up like a lot of the kids in my neighborhood, which you know uh, include death from overdose, death oh. death by police, death. Right. In other forms, uh, jail. I grew up in a really rough part of Queens, and those kids didn't have a lot to look forward to. And a lot mm-hmm. of my really good friends ended up in very bad places. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that wouldn't have happened to me if I didn't have the help. For some reason, people wanted to take me out of class and help me. Yeah. Um, if you if you are a person who um, is struggling, and there's someone who wants to talk to you, or f- if there's someone in your church or or even a professional therapist that you happen to know, or if you don't mm-hmm. know, look up your in your in book of insurance. There's probably someone you can go to, yeah. and they are game changers. These these are professionals with no agenda who mm-hmm. will will listen to you talk about things that no one else will listen to. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of people out there who say, like to say, "I don't need. I'm not yes. crazy. Yes. I don't need therapy. Yes. I'm not a crazy person. It's it's so not about that, and right. it's it come a long way too, even in my lifetime. Yes, from sort of like classic analysis 
Freudian analysis where you just sat and talked all the time and no one ever (laughs) said, you know, you're on the right track or you're not. No, they just Uh, lay there. It's very different now. So that's one massive tip that I'd like to share uh, that has been a game changer for me. Um, Another thing is the sweet art of self-discipline, right? So there are times where you just have to crank that up and and understand uh, if you're depriving yourself of something that gives you pleasure but doesn't give you health, doesn't give you peace, mm-hmm. you have to do the math on those decisions and, and decide which is more important. And for yeah. me right now, it's very clear I need to make choices that give me health and peace and not just pleasure. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's just, uh, uh, it's, it's a discipline, right? It's something you have yeah. to practice at. I love both of those tips because, again, values-based decision-making, your second tip is so important. Really having a compass so that your decisions don't just come from, like you said, that hedonic impulse. happiness, yeah, yeah. that impulse. Well, this is going to feel really good in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's more what's going to bring me that inner mm-hmm. peace mm-hmm. and how will I wake up tomorrow morning mm-hmm. and just feel really good about the decision that yeah. I made, right? And, and yeah. it's really about what you want in your soul. But I but I love your first tip too. And, you know, for the record, I would be honored to be called a therapist. I think therapists of all different types of training can all be really wonderful. Mm-hmm. My therapist that I had for a couple of years after my grandmother passed away, that was when I really felt like I need to go to therapy. Mm. I'm dealing with this grief and it's mm. really hard. She was an MFT and mm. she was one of the most brilliant therapists mm. that I had. And she had such a way about her that was so kind and mm-hmm. and so non-judgmental mm-hmm. because I had all of these judgments in my head, all sure. the shame and guilt about why I was feeling this sure. way. Like I didn't appreciate my life, but I just had a hard time after my grandmother passed away. And it was hard for me. And she never judged me for some of the meanest thoughts that I said to myself in my head, you know, uh, criticizing myself for right, still struggling right. with it a few months later. Right. That's because yeah. they're professionals, right? Yeah. A lot of people say, well, I have my mom, I have my brother, I have my husband, I have my best friend, but there's, there, it's going to be impossible for those people to be um, absolutely objective. They have an agenda. Yeah. And they may not even recognize what their agenda is while they're giving you advice. So you need someone who, who's agenda-free, who's objective and professionally trained. Yes, yeah. and I think sometimes people shy away from it, as you just mentioned, yeah. All the stigma. I came from Taiwan. I mean, psychologists weren't really a big thing there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You know, yeah. if I stayed there, yeah. I probably wouldn't be a psychologist because yeah. it's not really all that accepted yeah. even today, even though they've made a ton of progress as well. And yeah. so I even had self-stigma when I was right, signing up right. for therapy, but I was yeah. just thinking, you know, you can't be sitting on the other side and treating patients when you've never ever been on the side of being a patient yourself and sitting in that chair. Mm -hmm. So that was what got me through the door. But I think what got me to stay is like you said, really making sense of the fact that you don't have to be quote unquote crazy or suffering from Mm -hmm. a severe mental illness to go to therapy. Professionals can help you through difficult times in your life Mm -hmm. and teach you coping strategies. And I'm very thankful for my experiences Mm -hmm. in therapy. If you need to see a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and you do need medicine, don't be upset with yourself because it's okay. And it may help in the short term and the long term forever. There are, you know, a number of ways to, to, to treat yourself when you're facing these obstacles. And I feel like some of the more valuable ones, like the ones we're talking about, are the ones people are most afraid of. Right. And, and then, then one other thing that yeah. I think has helped me, even though it's 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 led to some criticism of my choices, is not being afraid to pick 
to pursue things that are naturally your passion. So mm. uh, when I stopped cooking at a three-star New York City restaurant and started cooking healthy food and doing triathlons, my chef friends thought I lost my mind because <laughs> they thought I was, I, I'm now going to be a hospital chef and cooking oh healthy food gosh. was for hospitals and not for real chefs. And, wow, um, the judgment and, of Yeah, so sometimes you just have to say... But yeah, but that's what I'm really, that's what's made me feel really good. And if you're lucky enough, you can figure out a way to incorporate it into your, uh, how you earn a living. And if you can do that, that's ultimately the best, right, of of all things. So don't be afraid of the judgment that, uh, which I don't think exists too much Mm -hmm. uh, now. Everyone has three gigs and a side gig. Mm -hmm. So people are doing that much more now. So, but but in the 90s, when I left a three-star restaurant to pursue whatever it was I was pursuing, yeah. people were very confused. And uh, if you're worried about, you know, outside reaction, that's always going to be a major roadblock. So you yeah. have to just not care about that. Right. At some point, you have to sort of block that out and do what makes sense to you and what feels good to you. Because I've always um, had a hobby of the performing arts and actually what you said really spoke to me because I was very heavily judged when I was in my doctoral program and people thought, oh, but you're doing musicals on the side. Are you serious about your career in psychology? And and I feel like it's okay to have both. It's okay that I like to sing and I like to dance and and it's fun. Um, And I'm still very serious about my psychology career. And in fact, it was that side hobby that really brought everything together for Mm -hmm. me. And that's why I've been so blessed and fortunate to have a career as a psychologist in the media, because that's really where those two things came together for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, so I think it's a great message for people. And I think for people who don't know where to start with their self-care, I think of self-care as having five major elements. There's the social piece, Mm -hmm. the emotional, the cognitive where you challenge your brain, the spiritual and the physical. And if you don't know where to start, just think of one activity to do each day Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. nurtures one of those areas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take care of your body, take care of your mind. And and pretty soon you start to get into a routine with it. I think it just becomes Mm -hmm. a way of life as opposed to, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. doing self-care now. Mm -hmm. Here's the 30 minutes where I do self-care. And it doesn't have to be so robotic. It can be Mm -hmm. really free. It can be really all about your passion and maybe Mm -hmm. a way for you to find a new hobby too. Sure. Yeah. Do you find that having a a friend who's also, who has similar interests that, that can share your, you know, the hobbies or whatever it is that you choose to enhance your self-care are important. Like I have a, I have a friend who's really into tea. Oh, and so when I have tea with him, it's absolutely self-care and it's sometimes it feels self-indulgent, but it's definitely a great moment for my, you know, inner outer health. And, Mm -hmm. uh, without him, I wouldn't have those experiences. And I know that when I was training for triathlons, my triathlon buddies really made it very easy for me to so I think seeking out people who have similar interests yes. and take care of themselves really well, either in any one of the ways that you describe is yeah. helpful. I love you know, that idea. Because doing it on your own is, is, is yeah. challenging. And then you kind of have to go into it yourself. So if you have somebody to do it with, then mm-hmm. that's also great because mm-hmm. you get connectivity. You get that social time yeah. with the person you care yeah. about. Plus, you get exposed to a, a new whole arena of things. And, yeah. so, and it's so easy to find those people now. Yeah. Social media, everyone has, you know their interests on display on social media. So. Exactly. And, and don't be afraid of trying something new. So one thing that I really got into last year was horseback riding. Oh, and if it wasn't, fun. Right. How great. And oh, my best wonderful. friend, my best girlfriend, 
rides horses now semi-professionally for fun, like as her hobby, but she trains and she's going to be in a show in a couple months. So if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would have gotten exposed to that. So I think that's a wonderful tip. Well, Chef Rocco, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you. It's been my honor. And your book, Rocco's Keto Comfort Foods Diet, is available wherever books are sold. But where else can people find you? How can people follow you? Uh, You know, on Instagram, on uh, all the typical social media stops. It's just at my name, uh, and uh, I do uh, lots of appearances in New York. So if you're ever in New York, check my social media. My, you know, there might be a book, book signing or a dinner or something. Oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah. And I need to see that picture of that sea urchin signature dish no when problem. we're done I'll with this. I need yeah. to take a look I'll at that. And thank you yeah. all for joining and listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. You can follow me at Dr. Judy Ho on social media. Be sure to subscribe, download, listen, and tell your friends about this podcast. I'm Dr. Judy. Now go supercharge your life.